In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Beloved Orthodox Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, <clears throat> we heard in this today's reading of the Holy Gospel <clears throat> our Savior's parable concerning a man that made a great feast for his friends. <clears throat> and as we heard in the, uh, in, in the reading, the man had friends, chosen ones, who he had bidden, first of all, to come for the great feast that he had made in the banquet. And those friends made excuses in not coming to his friend's banquet. He sent him his servants to bid them to say that, come, everything is ready, and yet they refused, they made excuses. And when, us, when the man saw what had happened, that his chosen friends, those who were the first, the, the VIP friends of his, that is, the ones that were to take the first place in his uh, in his banquet, they had refused. He was so angry and saddened that he told his, his uh, uh, servants to go and to bring everybody that he found in the city, in the lanes and the streets, the lame, the, the blind, the maimed, and so forth, and to bring them so that they should take the place of those who were bidden, his chosen friends, but they didn't come. And it was fulfilled. And the servant came and said to the master that yet there is more place, space in the banquet hall. And he says, go now outside the city, go into the highways and wherever you find anybody, bring them here also. So that, it, so that my banquet hall is full and those who come, they all rejoice in the banquet. And he finishes, our Savior, this, this, uh, uh, this parable by saying that many are bidden, but few are chosen. What is the meaning then? of this banquet? Who is this man who has been and who, is, who are his friends? What is the banquet? Those are who are the ones who refused and who are the ones who did accept to come to the banquet? The man, the master, is our Savior himself. It's God our Savior. And what is this banquet? The banquet is the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom, the revelation of salvation. And who are those choice friends who had bidden first of all those friends of his are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were the children of Israel, who because of faith of their father Abraham were chosen so that they should be the best friends of God upon earth, so that through them there should come the uh, Most Holy Theotokos and our Savior being incarnate of them. They were the ones who were the choice guests, his friends, whom he had prepared the banquet for them, not for only them, but especially for them, because of his friendship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and many of the holy ones from, from that stock. And what do we hear? That they refused to come to the banquet. That is, when a Savior came, when he revealed the kingdom of God, when he revealed the salvation, those who were supposed to accept him first and foremost, not everybody among the children of Abraham, but especially their leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders of the temple, those who were supposed to be to welcome the incarnation of God, the coming of the Messiah. They made excuses eh, to not to believe in him. For in this parable was fulfilled what actually happened, that those who were best friends of our Savior, those are the ones who did not come to the banquet. That is, those are the ones who did not accept our Savior's preaching, but rather rejected him. And what happened? Just as in the parable, 
the, uh, 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 the man who go, tells his servant to go and bring the lame, the maimed, and the blind from the streets. Who are these people? They are the publicans and sinners, the prostitutes, and all those sinners who, who among the Jewish people were the ones who actually listened to our Savior. Those who were disdained, those who were considered unclean, those who were considered to be the outcasts. Those were the ones who actually listened to our Savior and accepted his preaching and were, uh, took, put away everything, every excuse, and actually came to the banquet. That is, they rejoiced in coming to accepting our Savior and in being uh, uh, introduced to the kingdom of the heavens. But not only that, there was place left, we see, in the banquet. What does that mean? that the servant is sent afterwards to bring even people from the highways, from outside the city. Those were the people who were of the nations. That is, they were not of this Hebrew stock even, but because of the preaching of the apostles, they accepted the invitation to the kingdom of God, and they came to take the place of instead of those who were first bidden. Therefore, we see that those who were uh, from the city, from the alleys, the blind and the maimed were the sinners among the Hebrews who accepted our Savior. And those who were from the alleys, from the highways outside the city, all the nations who accepted our Savior's apostles' preaching, they took the place in the banquet hall. But those who were bidden first and foremost, those among the Hebrews who considered themselves to be righteous, the fulfillers of the law, the leaders of the Jewish people, they were the ones who were left outside. Why? Because they themselves did not once come to the banquet. They were the ones themselves who made excuses in not coming to the banquet of their friend. But let us ask one important thing. What are the excuses that these people actually made? For the Savior tells us in a most mystical and manner, metaphoric manner, what are the excuses? For one said, that uh, he had a property that he, he had bought and he had to go and see it. Another man said that he had uh, bought uh, oxen and he had to try them. And third one said he had married a wife so he couldn't come. What is one commonality among all these? None of them are sinful things. They're normal things. They're neutral. They're innocent things by themselves. They're neither good nor bad. It is good to have property. It is good to have a career, to have work. It is good and blessed to marry and so forth. So none of these things were actually sinful by which these people made excuses not to come to uh, uh, the, the banquet. So why is our Savior, what is the reason that our Savior is actually giving this kind of reasons and not reasons of sinful nature that none of them said that, you know, I took uh, up a uh, life of crime so I, I cannot come to the banquet and none, the other didn't say that he was uh, uh, too, too busy uh, uh, partying all night and that's, didn't, that's why he didn't come. They actually gave plausible reasons, excuses. Therein is the important thing to understand that anything in life, not just blatantly sinful things, but anything in life that actually takes place of God and is done at the expense of our relationship with God, becomes just as detrimental to our salvation as blatantly sinful things. For when something takes place in our heart, a place of God becomes the center of our attention, becomes the priority of our life at the expense 
of our relationship with God, that becomes just as sinful as a blatantly sinful thing, and more dangerous even. Because blatantly sinful thing, you cannot hide it. You know yourself and your conscience tells us, and the others see themselves that this is a sinful thing that one is doing. But when one does something which is not blatantly sinful, cannot be discerned as blatantly sinful, but in his heart it has taken the place that God should have, that is, that is delusion, much more difficult to discern. And people can pass years of their lives in such a condition thinking that they're serving God, but in reality they're serving something else. They're serving that thing or that whatever it is that is in their hearts that has taken the place of God. That is their God, and that is called idolatry. Idolatry doesn't mean to have a an idol and people burning incense. No, idolatry first and foremost starts in our mind, in our heart. When we worship something so much that we are ready to sacrifice our relationship with God for that sake. Therefore, those people were not doing anything bad as long as they were not doing it at the expense of their relationship with God. And that's what they did. In their lives, God was not the first thing. God, with their relationship with God, was not the center of their life around which everything, every other good and noble thing even, uh, revolved. But rather, they had chosen something else. One, uh, to have property. Another, to have a career. Another, to have a good job. Another, to seek happiness, uh, personal happiness, and so forth. That is what had taken the place of God in their hearts, and that is why their relationship with God was pushed to the second uh, uh, place. That is why our Savior tells us these examples, so that we know that even innocent and neutral things, when they, when they are pursued at the expense of our faithfulness, our allegiance, our relationship with God, become sinful and detrimental, and they can shut us out from the heavenly kingdom. This is what happened to the Hebrews of old, and it can happen to us as well. Therefore, let us ask then, when does it happen that we, that people being religious, people, people being uh, coming to the church, people believing in God, at the same time, slowly, something else takes up in their heart the place of God? When does that happen? Do we know? Is there a, a process that, in a, that starts that, that in, in a person that so pushes him away from his true allegiance with God? And yes, there is. We can take it from the example of the Hebrews. What is that one thing that does that? It is ungratefulness to the blessings that we receive from God. When we think and we take them for granted, as if we deserve them, as if we are worthy of them, and we take it for granted so much that we don't even think how grateful we should be that actually we know God, we have faith in Him, that we want to have relationship with Him, that He has done all these things for us. He revealed Himself to us. He has done, set the, the basis of the relationship with us. When we take that for granted... That is, when we take our faith for granted, our relationship with God for granted, that is when slowly we are sliding him on the second place. Because that which you know you already have in your pocket guaranteed, you don't care about that much because you think that you have it already uh, guaranteed and you will occupy yourself with other things. But when you know that you don't actually deserve what you have, when you know that you should be daily thankful for what we ha you have, you will be 
hundred times more careful not to lose it. You will be in trembling that this gift that you received, the gift of faith, you shouldn't lose it. And that is why you will be thankful for every day that you pass fasting, every day you pass in prayer, every day you have opportunity to come to say confession, to take communion. You take this as a miracle, daily miracle, that God, despite my sins, has not abandoned me and still cares for me. And you should be thankful, if not, not to do anything else, just to be thankful to God from the bottom of our hearts. That is what will keep him at the center of our life at the center of our heart. And that is what the Hebrews had lost. They thought, as St. John the Baptist tells them, that you think that you're children of Abraham, that's why you have guaranteed the kingdom of God. God can raise up from the stones these children of Abraham. Rather, you bring forth fruits worthy of repentance, he says. Those are the beautiful words that explain how the Hebrews had started to take for granted that they were the chosen people. Take for granted that God was with them. Take for granted that they had this great inheritance of the law of Moses and started to slide this to the second place and occupy themselves with other things. And that is why when the moment came, the moment of truth, when they had actually to reveal what was in their hearts, that is why they couldn't accept a savior. Because they had grown so distant, so alien, so foreign from the Spirit of God that they actually did not recognize that same God that gave them the law on Mount Sinai. They didn't recognize him in our Savior. That is the terrible calamity. It, cannot, it doesn't happen only to the Hebrews. It can happen to every one of us. When we say, oh, I'm baptized Orthodox Christian, what wrong can go with me? When, I say, when we say that, oh, I'm born Orthodox Christian and all my life my family has been Orthodox Christians for generations. So we, as it, we have it guaranteed that by doing, being Orthodox Christian baptized and by having, uh, being born in Orthodox family, Orthodox nation, Orthodox whatever, we have it so subconsciously even. We say, that, oh, we have it guaranteed that we are with God and God is with us. If something creeps in our mind like that, straight away we should pull it out as a snake. Because it is the beginning of taking for granted of God's blessings. And when we take them for granted, that's when we slide him on the second side and we occupy our heart with something else. Let not that happen with us, beloved Christians. But let us go in a bit even further about what we said about thankfulness and gratefulness. How can we show that we are actually grateful constantly. And we can show our gratefulness to God daily by small things, small faithfulness, small things of faithfulness towards Him. Not grand things. Grand things have their time and place. But when we are thank faithful to Him in small things, in, ma in making small victories, small advances daily, we show that we are trying. And if we are trying, it means that we are thankful and grateful to Him. So when we have the day of fasting, when we try to fast and really struggle to do so, when we, it's time to pray in the morning or in the evening, when we really try to do so, it's time to give charity, we try to do so. Little things, when we make little victories for our salvation, that's when we show our Savior that we are faithful. And what does he say? Those who are faithful in small things will be faithful in great things as well. Meaning, as Abba Isaac explains to us, that people that struggle for little things, when big temptations come, God will be struggling for them. 
God will be standing for them and strengthening them because they were faithful in small things. God will make sure that they know that God will be always with them in great temptation where big waves and hurricanes of temptation come over us. Let us, therefore, it is to cultivate the small acts of faithfulness to God, little things, winning little battles daily, that really count in showing that we are faithful and thankful to God. And when big temptations come, that's when we'll truly see how all that will, will, will really pay back in a marvelous way when our Savior will stand with us and win for us the big struggles. Son Isaac the Syrian even says that wise ascetics, they don't even allow themselves to fall in great uh, great battles because they constantly win the small battles and he says how can somebody fall into hating another person if he doesn't even allow himself to judge another person how can somebody fall into fornication when he doesn't even allow the thoughts of fornication to abide in him how can somebody be covetous and defraud somebody when he doesn't even keep with him what is his share but rather gives it in charity. Therefore, these little things, by winning these little things, these little battles daily, St. Isaac says, great, wise men, ascetics, they avoid even fighting big battles because they're spared uh, of them. And today, apart from the reading of the gospel that we had and commemoration of the, all the ancestors of Christ, we also commemorate the saints that show us how in an example in their lives, how really being faithful in small things, God is faithful afterwards to us in great and, and terrible battles. We commemorate Prophet Daniel and the three children, Azarias, and Ananias, and Misael, who were great faithful prophets of God. What is their story? They were taken in captivity when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Babylon went and he took all Judea captive. They, he conquered Jerusalem, demolished the, the city, uh, the temple, and took the captives of Judea, especially the nobility, to Babylon, to his place. And among them was Daniel, the prophet. We have the, prophet, the book of prophet Daniel. And three children, as I said, Azarias, Ananias, and Misael, who were taken with them. And when they were taken with them, these three children, unlike other children who were taken, refused to eat things that were not fasting, even when they were in captivity. Even when, and not fasting, I mean, not only meats when you're not supposed to eat meat, but things that were sacrificed to the idols. And they made a deal with the cupbearer of the, of the king to provide them just pulse, which is uh, basically oatmeal, and water, and bread. And that would be enough for them. They would be happy not to eat anything else, not to eat from the king's table, as long as they were faithful in this small thing of not eating what you're not supposed to uh, eat. And it says in the book of uh, Daniel that when time passed, the cupbearer fulfilled this request of there because all the noble children were taken to the, actually the king's palace to serve there, like, like these ones. So that the children, the, the young people who were eating the, the meat and good fatty foods from the from the king's table, were growing paler, and the three children were rosy-cheeked. They were much more vigorous, and that was the sign how things uh, we think work according to nature. When we sacrifice them for God's sake, God comes and helps us. But not only that, that when the time came to confess our Savior, 
They stood so strong that we remember them to this day, their confession of faith. What's happened? That this king Nabucodonosor put a great idol in the plain of Dera, there in, in Babylon, and told everybody that they should worship this idol. And if those who didn't, he would cast them in the fiery furnace. And these three children, out of all the Hebrews that were there, were the ones who stood so it said, there's no way we're going to do this. We worship God, the creator of heaven and earth, and shall not worship this, this idol. They stood fast, not only in saying it, but taking the consequences as well. He says, you can cast that to the, to the furnace, and if God wishes, he will save us. If not, that's his decision, but we shall be faithful to him. And Nazar was so angry with them, he made the furnace to be to, be, to heat, heat it up seven times over. And then he cast these three children into the fiery furnace. And what happened? Our Savior himself descended in the form of an angel, the angel of great counsel, and made that furnace, that fire, to be as pleasant as dew. That is, as, is pleasant. The, the, the dew is, is refreshing. In the morning, so refreshing it was for these children the, the, the fiery furnace. And from out of the furnace, they chanted those two beautiful hymns, which are the seventh and the eighth of the canon that we use, about blessing God and, for, for, and asking for forgiveness what they and their fathers had sinned, and that it was right that he, that, what, that he took away his mercy from because of many sins, but also asking that for the sake of their righteous fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he should have mercy on them, and that he should accept their heart broken and humble in asking this prayer and to, and to save not only them, but all the Hebrews that were captive. An angel came down, that is, the angel of great counsel, that is the interpretation of the fathers. It was our Savior himself, who came and to, who bedewed, who made refreshing that uh, uh, fiery furnace for them. And then they chanted that beautiful hymn where they called all the creation, the stars and the moon and the suns and the water and clouds and animals and fishes and birds and all the human beings to praise God and to exalt him unto the ages. That's what little faithfulness of being faithful in little things and yes, you're in a foreign land that you are captive. There could have been many excuses they could have given to break their fast and to eat what others were eating. But they were faithful in this little thing and made, devised even a method how to do it quietly that the cupbearer should provide for them. They showed their faithfulness to God. And that is what gave them strength in time of real big temptation to stand fast and God to show faithfulness to them in saving them from the fiery furnace in Babylon. The same can be said, I'll just add short, more little uh, episode from life of Daniel, who was a friend of them. Why was he taken captive and thrown into the lion's den? Because he wouldn't give up his morning and evening prayers. If we read the book of Daniel, that's what it means, that all the other people were ordered to pray in a certain manner, and Daniel, in his quiet bedroom, would only pray directed to Jerusalem. He would pray to, towards Jerusalem in the morning and in the evening, bending his knee, not according as the Babylonians were doing. And he was taken, the, he was taken captive because of that, because he would not give up the small thing of what it is, of saying our morning and evening prayers. And because of that, he was cast into the lion's den. And what happened? The lions became as meek as sheep. 
And he is called the shepherd of the lions in the lion's den. That is, they did not touch him. Because he was faithful to God in small things of not forgetting the tradition of praying the way we are supposed to pray, God was faithful to him in delivering in great, from great danger. Therefore, we see if we are faithful in small things, with God's help, we will be faithful in great things as well. And God will spare us great calamities and great temptations. Let us, therefore, remember what we read today, beloved Christians, in the gospel, in the life of these, of these saints, that to have our Savior the first thing in our life, the center of our existence, that everything else, every aspiration, every relationship, every other thing move around it, and then everything will have its place in our life, as long as God has the first place in our life. And let's show it by thankfulness. Let's prove it by thankfulness, by let's not allow this not to happen, that is, that our Savior should not be the f- in the first place, by constantly being thankful for his blessings. And let's show our thankfulness by faithfulness in little things, just like this great saints did, so that together with them we may chant to our Savior all the days of our life and be inheritance of the heavenly kingdom. Amen.